Let's try that again. Good morning. Welcome to Bridge City Church, North Braddock. So glad to be with you this morning. First Sunday morning of June. It's officially summer. Come on, somebody. And it's officially the start of a new sermon series here at Bridge City Church. And I couldn't be more excited about this. Man, the next several months, not weeks, you're not just getting a four-week appetizer. You're getting a several multi-week entree about courageous faith as we dive into the book of Joshua. I'm Pastor John, if we haven't met yet, and I'm excited that you're here. And if this is your first time, I just want to welcome you and let you know that we are glad that you are here and we love you. And we look forward to getting to know you a little bit better, and I'm just stoked. I'm just stoked to be here with you this morning. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn with me. We're going to jump right in, not to the book of Joshua yet, but to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, commonly referred to by biblical scholars and people who have read the Bible as the hall of faith. Not the hall of fame, the hall of faith. God doesn't have a hall of fame. He is the only person that would be in it. But God does have a hall of faith. People who gave their lives, surrendered their lives, yielded everything to their trust and belief in him. And so in verse number six of Hebrews chapter 11, a well-known verse, it says this, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly, or some translations say diligently, seek him. That's, that's an important qualifier there, that, that earnestly. You know, how many of you know praying for a few minutes a month? That's not diligent. It's a good start. That's what you're doing, Great. But diligence goes the next step and the next step and the next step. But, but this idea of faith, this, this, this verse right here is the essence of biblical faith. Because look, every one of you in here has faith. Every person I've ever met has faith. You know why? Because most of you go to a store with a little plastic card that has a little chip in it. And you expect when you go to that store that you can put this card in a device or if you slide it through a device, that that will render legal tender for the goods or services that you are consuming. That's faith. Now, some of you have great faith because you go with this card and there ain't nothing on this card. <laughs> I'm just saying and you're praying to God. Your prayer life gets real vibrant. You're like, oh, Jesus, let the check hat clear. Come on. Or, oh, I hope, I hope Duquesne Light didn't cash that, that check yet. Oh, come on, help me. But see, everybody has faith. Everybody has a belief. Right now, none of you gave a second thought to the fact that the chair you're sitting on would bear your weight. Because you have tested chairs or you have tested your card you have tested so many things in your life over the course of time that your faith actually becomes knowledge and that's what God is trying to get us to he's trying to get us to the place where we're not just hoping that it'll do something and that's good because you'll hear next week 
Verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 11, faith is the substance of the things you hope for. So hope is the beginning of faith, but knowledge is the end of faith. That even though everything in my world around me says otherwise, I know God is going to show up for my good. See, and that's why this verse is the essence of biblical faith. Because you have to believe that God exists. There's a lot of people that don't believe that God exists. Or they say they believe in a God, but their life doesn't reflect that they believe in any God, let alone the one true God. Right? Because you can say, oh, I believe in God and that he's the king and creator of the universe. He's all powerful. He knows everything. I, I, believe, I believe in that God, but I don't, I don't believe I should do any of the things that he said that I should do. So you have to believe that God exists. But you also, right, biblical faith is that you believe that he's good. He's a rewarder. He's a provider, right? How, how many of you are parents and you love to give your kids treats, right? Come on. Our Father in heaven loves to reward us when we diligently seek him. And so this is the essence of biblical faith. But this is why we struggle with it as people. This is why it's easier for us to believe in our our credit card or in the chair that we're sitting on than it is to believe in God. First and foremost, because we can't see God. We can see our credit card. We can see the chair. We can see other people sitting in the chair and be like, "Ah, they haven't fallen yet, so I can trust this chair. Right? But, But even more than that, especially in our day and age, we struggle to believe God because the circumstances around us or sometimes even within us cause us to think or believe that God isn't there and that he isn't good, right? You look at all of the craziness that happens in our world and, and, and just spoiler alert, craziness has happened in the world since the, since the fall of mankind. There is nothing that is new under the sun. And that's why I'm very even cautious because we're going to, when we talk about faith as we get into this, you know, like, like I, I personally believe that media of almost every sort is a tool of the devil. I'm not saying that it is the devil. I'm saying that the devil uses it. Why? Because social media, mainstream media, all of this stuff, it, 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 it precipitates and encourages us toward offense. And offense is the bait of Satan. And so he knows that if he can get the world offended enough, offended at their government, offended at their neighbor, offended at people that look differently than them, offended at at anything, then he has a place to operate and move, right? So, So faith is hindered by the fact that we, if we're honest, we look and we say, what I'm seeing and what I'm experiencing right now is making it difficult for me to believe that God exists and to believe that he's a good rewarder. But there's another aspect of faith, and this is what I want us to focus on today as we go into this sermon series, is that there's a reality of faith that when we do acknowledge that God exists and we're willing to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's good and he's got our best interests in mind, that when God then calls us to do something great, something big, something beyond our ability, A couple of weeks ago, our lead pastor, Pastor Rick Paladin, was here, and and he said a very poignant statement, and I hope you caught it. God always calls you to one level beyond where you could do it on your own. Because God wants us to do things where we have to depend on him so that when we do those things and people say, wow, how did that happen in your life? We can't take any credit. 
Even salvation is like this. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, it says, it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is a gift of God so that no one can boast. How did you get your life together? I didn't. God did. Because I believed that he exists and I believed that he was good. And so I want you to hear this today. God is calling you, yes, you, every one of you individually and all of us corporately to big, great things, but it's going to take faith to do it. And so it's easy for us to be like, man, there's no way I can do that. I think back to 2008, April of 2008. Uh, Christine and I, we've been married for about four months. And during my normal morning time of prayer, God gave me an open vision, which, which is rare. I don't, I don't get a lot of visions or dreams from God. God usually speaks to me through his word. That's how he usually speaks to me, right? And I have an open vision, and I know exactly where I am. I'm in a parking lot just down over the hill in Braddock here, literally down over the hill. You get on Yost Boulevard, go down the hill, you will run into the parking lot that I could see myself looking out of my eyes through. And I'm looking around. I don't see myself, but it's me in the vision looking. And, and I just know in my heart that God is calling my wife and I to do something, a, a work in Braddock. Now, you got to understand something. I'm newly married. I ain't got no money. Actually, I don't even think I had a credit card at that time because my credit was that toe up. Like, it was so toe up that I couldn't even put the R in tour. That's how bad it was. Toe. It was toe. I'm still in my junior year of Bible college. And so God is calling us to this big thing. But I trusted in God. See, because the amazing thing with me at that time, I wasn't smart, not that I am now, but I was a lot dumber then. I wasn't, I wasn't skilled at anything in particular except getting in trouble and trusting God. And so I'm trusting it. I have a God strength inside of me because all I know how to do is just take God at his word and do what he says. And so we believe God. And so for the next several years, we process through this. God gave me a, a, a verse of scripture, Isaiah chapter 58, verse 12, where it talks about you will, be, you will restore ruins and repair the breach and restore streets with dwellings. And if you drive through Braddock, there's a lot of breaches and destruction and ruin and, and, and streets with, with empty, abandoned dwellings. And so we trusted God and we finished Bible college and we knew as soon as we graduated, we knew. We didn't know what we were supposed to do, how we were going to do it, but we knew that God was calling us to, do, to move back to Pittsburgh. Our college was out near Philadelphia to move back to Pittsburgh and just, just trust what he puts in front of us. And so that's what we did. The first church that I ever pastored was the church that I planted out of that vision. Never pastored before. Matter of fact, there, there probably wouldn't have been too many people that would have hired me to be a pastor in the denomination that I was in, even though I graduated top of my class from that college, but I'm a convicted felon, got a child out of wedlock, come on, former drug addict, all of this stuff. But see, God makes a way where there is no way. And so we just, we didn't have a launch team. We didn't have no money. Right? The same way uh, I was toe, we was poe. We didn't even have the R for poor. It was just poe. 
And on September 26, 2010, we launched a church in the Braddock Elks Club, a place that had no heat and no air conditioning, a place where they would have raves and like parties on Saturday nights until like five in the morning. So me and the guys from my men's home, we had a men's recovery home, that was my launch team. A bunch of former and unfortunately current drug addicts. <laughs> that was our launch team. Go in and set up and we would have church. And you know what God did? God took the, the 25 or so people that we launched that church with and within a year turned it into 70 people. We saw so many people get saved. So many people get saved. Actually, God grew our church in the coldest month of the year that is typically the lowest attended month of the church and the lowest giving month in the church, February. God grew our church. He had exponential growth in the coldest month of the year in a building with no heat. Our church was awarded the top urban church plant in the Assemblies of God for 2010 and 2011. But God wasn't done. See, we just kept believing God. And the week before our one-year anniversary, Christine is now, she, she is about to bust at any moment with Lily. We're living over in East Liberty. And on the Saturday night before the, before the week before our one-year anniversary, our house was broken into and we were robbed. They took everything. They took the computer that we ran the worship software off of. They took the projector that we projected with. It took everything. It took our TV, everything. I mean, all we had was like a little computer monitor TV. It wasn't even, it wasn't even La Vida Loca. I'd have been embarrassed to steal that TV. I'd have filled my arms with something better. And that night, I was up all night dealing with detectives, wondering what to do. And at 6 in the morning... A very good friend of mine, a pastor who was a part of the ministry that was planting us, called me, and I picked up the phone, and he said, and he doesn't say hi, he just says, I'm so excited for what God is about to do in your life. Because he understood how faith worked. And I didn't even know, could I go to church that day? My wife is pregnant, she shook up. We had baptism, we had 14 brand new believers scheduled to be baptized that day. We were getting ready to bless out my assistant pastor who was going to go plan a church of his own. And I'm like, I got to be there. So I show up at church five minutes before church starts. No computer, no worship projection, just the anointing and power of God. And God moved in that way so powerfully that we ended up baptizing 18 people because four more people gave their lives to Jesus. And one of the people we baptized was a first-time believer who had just found out she had cancer and God spoke to my heart in that moment and we prayed and believed that when she would go down in that water, every cancer cell would be washed away and guess what? God healed her of cancer that day. Why is that important? Because what are you missing out on because you haven't taken the big step of faith yet? That was just the first year of the church. That church became the first church in a network of churches. We planted 98 brand new churches in urban areas all over the country, 23 states, Canada and St. Croix, and saw over 10,000 people come to know Jesus in a seven-year span. And many of those churches are still open and thriving today. 
See, we gotta have faith when God calls us out. We've got to step out. And so when we look at the book of Joshua here, that's what we're seeing. That's what God is calling us to here. Because the big idea for today is this. People that walk in courageous faith will require these three qualities. See, because some of you are like, man, I want God to move like that in my life. I want God to move in my finances, in my family, in my health, in my city, in my community, in my church. I want to see God move like that. Well, here's what you need. You need to be prepared by God. You need the presence of God. And you need the promises from God. Because that's what the book of Joshua is built off of. And before we get into Joshua here, I just want to give you a little background of not just the book, but the, but the man that the book is named after. Joshua, all throughout the scripture, was always referred to, always. Not as the leader Joshua, the apostle Joshua, the prophet Joshua, the mighty warrior Joshua, as Moses' assistant. Now, that's a good word for some of you that are under the age of 35 in this room right now, because some of you are waiting to be the leader, but you ain't nobody's assistant. Joshua was never the man, but he always served and was faithful and humble. See, here's, you want to, I will give you, I will give you the the game-breaking truth of your life. Don't leave, but this is, you want to become the man or the woman? Serve the man or the woman, because then God can trust you. He was always referred to as Moses' assistant. And if you were here when Pastor Rick was here, you remember he preached on this, Numbers chapter uh, 13. He was one of the 12 spies that Moses sent into the promised land to spy it out. And the 10 came back with a bad report, but Joshua and his buddy Caleb, they came back and said, yeah, all of that stuff is true. There's giants, there's fortified cities, there's trained killers, but God is with us. But because the people chose to believe the bad report of the 10 spies, God didn't let them enter the promised land and caused them to wander for 40 years in the desert. Why 40 years? Because a biblical generation is 40 years long. And God said, I'm not starting a new work in the promised land with a generation of faithless people. And most of those people saw God send the plagues on Egypt, saw God part the Red Sea, saw God swallow up the most powerful army on the earth, the Egyptian armed forces in the Red Sea, saw God provide for them, saw God speak to them, but they said, oh no, we want to go back. And here's the reason why all of us are tempted to do that from time to time, because familiarity makes us comfortable. We like what we know. And faith is the substance of things hoped for, being certain of what you do not see. And so my hope over these next several weeks is that you learn to not walk by sight, but to live by faith. See, and here's the, here's the, here's the kicker, guys. This is, this is something that just hit me as I was preparing for this message. You ready for this? Joshua, even though he gave a good report, he still had to wander for 40 years too. You want to talk, look, you want to talk about aggravation. Let that have been me. About two months in, desert's hot, ain't got no new clothes, people stanking. Come on, like be real. The Bible's real. Some of you need to smell the Bible. They didn't have showers. They didn't have Old Spice. They didn't have drive-through. 
They ate bread that they hoped fell from heaven every morning. I don't know if you've ever eaten bread every day. But Joshua is there. And I, if it was me, I'm going to just be honest. Joshua was a better man than me. I'd have been like, man, he's not bleepity bleep. I'd have been going over to Caleb's tent like, yo, man, I'm sick of this walking around, man. I have faith. Why God ain't blessing me? I gave. I served. I was at church every Sunday. Why ain't I getting mine now? That's not faith. That's entitlement. Be careful. Be careful. We see Joshua was a man of faith who just humbly not only served his leader but trusted God. And he was called by God to go across a river that they didn't have a bridge. He was called by God to to face an army without warriors. He was called by God to, to, to take fortified cities with with no ability to do so. He was called by God to fight giants. He was called by God. I want you to get this. Throw that slide up there. There were millions of Israelites that that he was responsible for. He had to figure out a way to feed all of them because the manna stopped, the bread from heaven stopped the moment they entered the promised land. Joshua had all these reasons to question himself and to question God and to question his calling, but he never did any of it. Because all of these things, and this is going to lead us to our first point, all of these things were orchestrated by God to prepare Joshua for the great thing God was calling him to. Turn over to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, we're going to read the first nine verses, and we're going, to, we're going to break it up as we Joshua chapter 1. Trying to get that rhythm like Caden had, like, it ain't working. We'll figure it out. Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. There it is right there. His, his big moment, his opportunity. He's like, man, I wait. I'm, I'm going to get my shot. I'm going to get to be the CEO. I've never heard. Look, be, be wary of people that want to be leaders. Why do I say that? Because it's, it's a great desire to want to be a leader, right? But people who really want what leadership is, they know what leadership is. See, because some people think that leadership means that you get to call all the shots and everybody else has to do and they just have to listen to you. Actually, no, leadership is the opposite. More is depending on you than on anybody else combined. The, the Lord says, after, after the death of Moses, he, he said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistants, are you ready for this? You ready for faith? This is, I, want, I want you to catch the, the power this prophetic word, this word that God gives to Joshua to just energize him and encourage him to take fortified cities full of giants. Are you ready for this? Are you ready? Here it is. Moses, my servant, is dead. <laughs> That's a heck of a pep talk. Right? Joshua, Moses is gone. 
He didn't say, man, you got this. You're well-trained. You're ready. He didn't say all that. He starts off with, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, it's important that God starts that way. It's important that God is basically coming to Joshua and telling him the truth. Here's the deal. So why did God start his pep talk like this? Well, there's two reasons that I think that God did this. The first one is this. is because there was no one else left for Joshua to rely on but God. Up until this point in his life, Joshua could follow Moses. Joshua could get wisdom from Moses. Joshua could get advice from Moses. Joshua could get support and encouragement from Moses. And God wanted Joshua to know, Moses ain't here now. It's just me and you, bro. See, and some of us need to get that in our mind because some of us, we go to Facebook, we go to friends, and we should do all of that. But if God isn't your main and primary support system, then you are in trouble. You will never walk in faith until you know that God is all you got. The second reason why I believe he told Joshua that Moses is dead is because here's the thing. God didn't want another Moses. He wanted the only Joshua. He crushed what what, what we call today the imposter syndrome out of the way. You know how many pastors and preachers and ministry people I grew up with in school and in ministry over the last decade and a half? They wanted to preach like T.D. Jakes. God didn't call you to be T.D. Jakes. He called T.D. Jakes to be T.D. Jakes. He called you to be you. Stop, stop trying to be Maverick City and be you. And, 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 and young people, stop trying to dress like everybody else. Dress like you. Stop fronting. Stop fronting and be the man or woman of faith that God called you to be in alignment with God's word. In alignment with God's word. Because some of us are trying to be who we want to be or who we think we are, who we think, but it's not lining up with what God has called us to be or do. He said, Moses, my servant is dead. Get ready, because I have a job for you. Verse three, every place the sole of your foot will tread. I have given you. Can we start marching around things and everything like that? Can I be honest with you? I've marched around more things that I didn't get than I did get, but that has not stopped me from marching around things. That's what faith does. Makes you look silly. Makes you say, God, it's on you. This ain't on me. Verse 4. From the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river. So God's telling him the geography, the promised land that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all through the hundreds of years. He said, I'm going to give it to you right now. The river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. And here's the thing I want us to get right now when it comes to the preparation that God does for us. You ready for this? Everything that Joseph had endured had prepared him for this moment. Every trial that you're trying to run away from or pray your way out of might be God's grace and providence to you to prepare you for the great thing that you didn't know that he wanted to do because it was too big for you to envision. See, a lot of times we resent or reject the difficulties that God allows us to endure because we think that they're evidence of God's absence or of God's anger. So we reject it. Why would God let this happen in my family? Can't be God. Why would God let this happen in my health? It can't be God. Why would God let this happen at work? It can't be God. 
A lot of times it is God, and God is trying to get you to see through all of what you can see and look to what you can't see and see him and trust him and see something bigger than what's in front of your face. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 13 tells us that God actually designs hardships to train us because he loves us. And here's something I want you to get this morning. You will never be able to possess where the, foot, where the sole of your foot will tread until you embrace what God has done where your feet have tread. Let me say it like this. You will never possess everything where the sole of your foot will tread until you're able to thank God for everything in your, you've endured in the places where your foot has tread. God's doing a work in you. He's preparing you for something bigger than a nine to five. Listen, church, we have settled for literally the lowest bump of Christianity that the world has ever seen. We are one of the most miracle-less churches that have ever existed on the face of the earth. We're, we, we are winning in our country somewhere right now. We're hovering around like 5 to 7% of people who are born again and attend church more than once a month in this country. That's where we're at. Because I, I believe it's because we don't have great faith that God wants to revive America. But we all want revival out here, but we have to trust him to do revival in here first. See, Joshua learned during his time of unfairly wandering the desert. See, some, some of you think that God's been delayed. Why would God let me keep wandering in this desert when I had faith? Mm -mm. It's what are you doing, God? I, I, I see it, but, but what are you up to? I know, I know that you got better for me than this, so I'm just I'm going to trust. Tyler read it this morning in our huddle. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Many of you are weak in your faith because you don't know how to wait on the Lord. But all, when you understand that God's preparation, listen to me, everything Joshua needed for success, he learned in suffering. Everything that he needed for triumph, he learned in testing. What's God doing or showing you in your suffering and in your trials right now that he is using to prepare you for the next big thing that he had already planned for you from the foundations of the earth? Don't run from it, embrace it. Don't say, why God, say, what for? What for? Next, we see the presence of God, Joshua 1, 5 through 6. No man shall be able to stand before you. This is still God speaking to, to Joshua. Now, now the pep talk's getting a little bit better, right? No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. And I want to tell you something today. Joshua's ability to do what God was calling him to do had nothing to do with his skill or his savvy or his smarts or his strength, but had everything to do with the fact that Joshua prioritized God's presence over everything else. 
over everything. I don't got time to stand in that worship service. I got to go do great things for God. Yeah, have fun with that. Good luck. Good luck trying to heal somebody and you can't spend two seconds in prayer. Good luck trying to cast a devil out of somebody and you can't. You, man, it's, it's been 19 minutes we've been singing the songs. Oh, I, I don't like going to that campus. He preaches so long. Fine, go be faithless somewhere else. Go ahead. You say, well, how could you say something like that? God let a whole generation of faithless people die because he didn't want to work with them because they didn't want to work with him. Gideon took 300 and overturned a nation. Give me 300, you can take the 30,000. But faith, by prioritizing the presence of God, produces benefits in our lives. And look at it, this is what it says. First and foremost, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know why some of you think God is left? Because you don't spend enough time with God. He don't do it. Actually, the moments I feel like God has left, my mind, because I've, I've gone through so much, literally clicks into an automatic. Like, you know how, like, I got air conditioning in my house. You got air conditioning in your house? I mean, praise God for the air conditioning in your house right now. Central air, come on, set it and forget it. Hey. You th- and you think you could wander 40 years in the desert and not complain. You can't sit 40 minutes in your house with the AC off right now. That's real rap. But see, when the temperature in my house gets above where I've set the thermostat for, I can hear a little click, click. See, and your life has to be like that. When, when, when the temperature of the surroundings of your life, fear, doubt, depression, despair, distress, all these other D words, whatever, throw it all in there. When that happens, you need to have a a life that has prioritized God's presence so much that when the temperature rises around you, there's a click, click within you that causes the cool, refreshing wind of the Holy Spirit to come and rest on you. And even if he doesn't blow the fire out, you'll be cool in the middle of the fire because there's another one standing with me in the fire. See, God wasn't going anywhere, and Joshua knew that because Joshua told God, I'm not going anywhere. Exodus chapter 33, 11, it talks about how Moses, Moses would meet with God daily. The Bible says they would meet face to face as a friend, and it's funny because a chapter later, it tells us that that Moses couldn't see God's face because it would kill him. Which one is it? It's either or, it's both and. But then Moses, because he had stuff to do, he would leave the tent. And because he had been in the presence of God, there was a supernatural incandescent luminescence on his face that was so shocking to all of the other people around them that they didn't say, oh, let us come and bask in the glory of God that is on you because clearly you've rested in the presence of God and we want the presence of God to bask on us. They said, ew, cover it up. So you need to get around some glory-filled people. But see, Joshua, the Bible says in Exodus chapter 33, 11, Joshua stayed in the tent. He said, that's cool, Moses, but I just need a few more minutes with him. I need a few more minutes in the presence. See, because of that, he knew that God would never leave him or forsake him. But even though God knew he'd struggle with it, he reminded him of it too. How about this one? 
no man will be able to stand before you. And all of my Lord of the Rings friends are like, well, I am no man. Doesn't mean that women would slap him around him, doesn't it? Saying nobody, no one will be able to stand before him. Why? Because he prioritized God's presence. How many of you have seen The Lion King? The original one, not this nonsense. Disney can't make a new movie, so they just make real versions of the cartoon. The cartoons are all better. All the cartoons are better. I'm not knocking a new, all the cartoons are better. All of them. Lion King. See, see Thomas is feeling it because he's about to go to Kenya next week. So he thought that was like. <laughs> but in The Lion King, we see where Simba, the son of the king, is convinced by the enemy of the king that he hurt the king and he can never go home. That's Genesis 3. So Simba runs away. And and, and, and then the story says, because the monkey dude, Rafiki, ah, he shows up. I hope my little voices are keeping you awake. They're entertaining me. I I feel like Robin Williams. (laughs) But Rafiki comes and reminds him. He's like, you've forgotten who you are. That's the gospel. That's salvation. But see, there was a moment before Mufasa died when Simba, because he's a little rascal, goes into that dark place. Dad, what's that dark place over there? Simba, it's Cleveland. No. (laughs) It is Cleveland. But in the movie, it was the elephant graveyard, which is Cleveland. says, never go over there. Wherever the light touches. Now, maybe Simba thought he was going to be evangelistic and say, I'm going to bring the light to the darkness. No, he just wanted to go over there and be a fool. And he got himself caught up with the hyenas, right? Fun fact about the Bible, every time the Bible mentions jackals and hyenas, it's always symbolic of demonic spirits. So Simba finds himself in a place of death surrounded by demonic spirits, and he's cornered. He's got nothing else to do. He's got nowhere else to go. So he does the only thing that he can do. He's gonna let the lion roar. He wells up. He's got the, and he's getting ready. He's gonna let out. Not the most frightening thing to the jackals. Actually, the jackals start laughing at him, don't they? <laughs> What's he? Simba's a, he's a, he's a cub of faith. So he, he says, <laughs> but Simba doesn't give up. And on the third time Simba opens up his mouth, he begins to start screaming. But now there's a mighty roar over drubbing his little baby squeak. And that's because his papa was there with him. And I want to tell somebody today, if you will just keep growling, it ain't your little growl that's going to scare the demons away. It's going to be the power of the mighty lion of Judah roaring on your behalf. Because you said, I'm going to prioritize presence with my king. You can't do it on your own. Stop trying. 
please, for the love of God, for every counseling program and rehab program and every other great program out there, for the love of all that is good, stop trying to do it on yourself and give it over to God because he alone can help you and will help you and will never leave you or forsake you. That's the great thing about treatment, man. It helps you, but then you leave. I love treatment. I love it. But you know what? I got a counselor that never leaves. Never leaves me. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. And you know why? Because I'm never going to leave him. I'm going to prioritize the presence of God in my life. And I love this because he says, and as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. One fact about this, remember how I said the manna, the bread that came every morning to feed them so they didn't have to try to feed themselves? Give us this day our daily bread. Sound familiar? The same way that stopped when they entered the promised land, you know what else stopped? God's physical manifest presence. You remember the Bible story, God led them during that 40 years in the desert as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Pretty awesome. It's even more awesome when you understand what it's like in the desert. Because <laughs> in the desert, when it's daytime, the sun's out, there's no water and there's no shade. But clouds bring shade and bring water. And in the desert, when it's nighttime, as hot as it was during the day, it's that cold at night. And it's dark. But fire brings light and heat. Some of you need to know that God is with you. But see, Joshua, God said, as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. God was not talking about the physical representation of him being there because that went away. But he said, it's not about what you see. It's about what you believe. It's not about a physical, visible manifestation of God. It's about relational interaction that you get by prioritizing the presence of God in your life. Because God's presence was never intended to be on the outside. It was always supposed to be in here. And that's how the Holy Spirit comes. Last, the promises of God. You need a promise from God to pursue or to sustain you when you step out. You need a promise from God that you're chasing after or one that you're holding on to in your life. In Matthew chapter uh, four, verse four, Jesus says something. He says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You need to have a promise from God's word or a promise that lines up with God's word to sustain you when everything around you tells you that it's not happening the way God promised it. Look at verses seven and eight. God still speaking, only be strong and very courageous. Funny how he keeps saying that. It's like three or four times just in these couple of verses. You know why God keeps repeating it? Because he knows we're going to be fearful and weak. He says, don't worry. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. You know why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the words of God. Only be strong and courageous. Be careful to do. To do. To do according to all the law that my, my servant Moses had commanded you. At this point in time, the only Bible that existed was the first five books of the Bible. That was it. The law of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 
And so God is telling him, do those things. See, because here's the fun thing about faith, right? It rests and is empowered on the word of God. Be sure to do them. Do not turn from them to the right or to the left so that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For when you will make your for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. I'm going to have Caden come up to get on the keys so we can land this plane and get you home. Prepared by God, presence of God, you need promises from God. And God's promises are from or rest on his word. See, holding fast to and obeying God's word leads to good success. You know, I told you about doing the ministry there in Braddock. And a couple of years into it, because of the good success God was giving our church, our, our, our very pagan and ungodly atheistic mayor of Braddock at the time happens to be the US, one of the U.S. senators from Pennsylvania right now, John Fetterman. Anti-God. Did a lot of good stuff. I ain't taking that away from him. But he is a man that is opposed to and hates God. But he was so nice, Giselle. They hate God. Giselle practices all kind of these mystical, spiritual things. So I'm, I'm just, I'm not putting them on blast. I love you enough to tell you from jump right now. But that didn't, that didn't keep me from having a friendship and relationship to them. They'd come to our kids' birthday party, we go to their kids' birthday parties. We had a really, really good relationship. But see, when I first tried to meet Mayor John when we were launching the church, because you know, good church planning strategy, you need to go and meet all of the civic leaders and blah, 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 and we did all that. He ain't want nothing to do with me or my church because I was a pastor and I was a Christian and that's just real rap. He didn't say that, but he didn't, have, he didn't have two boos for me. But then you know what happened? He saw how we served the community. He saw how we would give out hundreds of book bags every August so the kids and parents that couldn't afford them could have them so they could spend that money on something else. And he said this. He said, John, I don't like Christians, but I like you. Because most Christians don't walk what they talk, but you walk what you talk. I've shared the gospel with him several times. Actually, one of the times at one of the big outreaches, there was like 1,700 people there were down there in Braddock were giving out book bags. Because I want to let you know something, that because of the ministry that we were able to do because of another Christian nonprofit that provided the book bags and all those things, Braddock, the community of Braddock, actually started organizing their community days around when our church gave out book bags. And I shared the gospel, man. And the great thing about sharing the gospel in the hood where you grew up in is you can share all the details and say, you know what, I can see people who know that they can tell you not only is that the truth, but it's way worse than I just told you. After the outreach, we went out to dinner and I texted him. I said, hey, John, always great working with you. I love getting an opportunity to work with you. And he's like, same here, man. He said, the 
most, this is, this is what he's, the most powerful moment of the day was your impassioned statement about your life. He didn't know to call it a testimony, but he heard it and it touched him. And so because he saw all of these amazing things that we were doing, he has connections in the community and he wanted me and my wife, this man who hates God, hates the church, but loves me, loves my wife, loves our church, he knows we're living over in East Liberty. He says, we want you in Braddock. And so he helped us find a house. And he connected me with a man who, 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 who sold us our first house for $1. What? <laughs> Needed $6,000 worth of work, but the Lord provides. Fun fact about that, the next year, we were praying for a new church building because we wanted to start another church. And God gave us a church building over in Swissville for, guess what, one dollar. Yeah, yeah. The guys in my network started calling me the Dollar General. I said, man, we can really put this thing to work. Let's get on TBN. If you just send us $50 right now, I'll pray over it. I'd get Chris one. I'll pray over $100. I'll send you a dollar back. I'll keep the 49 That's what these jokers be doing half the time anyway, man. And I'm on Christian TV, so I'm just going to be real. We're going to do the, just lay that dollar on whatever you need a blessing in. And I remember being in that building, being in that house, wondering what the heck I got myself into. Braddock's a little ratchet if you haven't heard. It's not the place to raise a one-year-old baby girl who wasn't quite one year old yet, or a wife who never lived in the hood. I'm trying to rehab this house and nothing is going right. And I just remember, man, I just remember getting on my knee and I mean, this place was full of roaches, man. Everything was messed up. And then God brought to my mind, Isaiah 58, 12. And he said, you will restore the ruins. You'll be the repairer of the bridge. You'll restore streets with dwellings. I said, that's what I'm doing, right? Keep the dollar house. My dad reminded me that I was on task and I was on track and he was going to do more because he never leaves me nor forsake me. I had a promise from God and I'm here to tell you today there's a reason why I ain't pastor in a church in East Poughkeepsie, New York or Phoenix, Arizona or somewhere in California but I'm right back in North Braddock. I needed a higher vantage point to see the promises of God come to pass over the hill so people's lives can be changed, souls can be saved. Come on somebody, what God, what does God have for you? What promises does he have for you? What's he gonna do? What have you let dwindle? What fire is almost out that you need to fan with the flame of faith? Come on somebody, it's time for the church to arise with courageous faith. Courageous faith. Stop crying about the news and do something about it. Come on somebody. Oh! Our founding pastor, Pastor Keith, 
He said a word that resonated in my heart from the first time I met him in 2013. He said, get your church on fire and people will just come to watch it burn. Oh, we had a church that was on fire. A church full of faith. Come on, somebody. Because God has great things for us. He has great things for this. Greater things are still to come. Greater things are still to come. He's not done with me and he's not done with you. If I'm not dead, then you're not done. Greater things are still to come. Oh, I believe. Do you believe? Do you believe he can save your family? Do you believe he can save your coworkers? Do you believe? Do you believe he can heal your body? Do you believe he can heal your mind? Do you believe he can deliver you from addiction? Do you believe he can deliver you from mental illness? Do you believe that he can heal the sick and raise the dead and cause you that every place the sole of your foot treads? See, the fun fact about that is this. Your soul doesn't tread on much unless you start walking it out. Some of you just need to get up and start walking it out. Start claiming that thing. Because God, God has more for you. So my questions for you are this, threefold, and then I'm out of your way. I apologize for being long, but I hope it was, I hope it was worth it. My first question is this, because he said, don't let it depart from your mouth, meditate on it, be sure to do it. So my first question is this, what's in your mouth? What's in your mouth? Is it cussing? Is it negativity? Is it slander? Are you speaking negative faith? Oh, that's never going to change. That's never going to What's in your mouth? Every victory needs a verse. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You need to hear the word of God. Proverbs 18, 21, life and death are in the power of the tongue and those who love it eat of its fruit. What's on your tongue, life or death? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says, I believed, therefore I speak. See, you will always speak what you believe. And I want to challenge some of you right now to get a better word in your mouth. And that means you need to believe a better thing. Second thing, what's on your mind? Right? Meditation isn't just, oh, ah, empty, said. The word for meditate in the Hebrew literally means to mutter or to murmur, to grumble over, to recite. See, and that goes back to to, to what word is in your mouth. Because if you're reciting scripture and if you're reciting and declaring the promises of God, guess what? You're hearing them. And if faith comes by hearing and you're speaking the word of God, guess what's going to happen to your faith? But what's on your mind? What are you meditating on? This is, this is one of the reasons I, I hate, I hate most forms of music, especially rap music. I don't know what would possess young people to denigrate women, sell drugs to each other, and shoot each other. You listen to it all day long. Because you do what you listen to. And you think, 22 minutes of worship on a Sunday morning once a month is going to override Flow Rider or whatever goofball is trying to be the next big thing. You know what I did when I listened to that stuff? I sold drugs, I shot people, and I went to jail. Because guess what? That's what I listened to. 
But when I started listening to the word of God in song, in preaching, in his word, God whispering to me, people speaking the word of God to me, guess what I started doing? Lives changed, souls saved, cities upturned. Come on, somebody. What's on your mind? And the last thing is this. What's directing your actions? Your actions will follow where your mind is. See how it works? Get the word in your mouth, it'll change your mind, and then it'll change your direction. And that's what repentance is. Repentance just means to change direction. When when God says, repent to me, he's saying change direction, turn towards me. But you gotta get it in your mouth, or at least get it in your mind. Say, I don't know nothing about the word of God. I don't even know how to speak it. Get around some of these people that do. Come and sit under teaching like this. I apologize that this is so long, but I also don't because you know why? I'm I'm tired of the church saying we need to change the world. People don't honor the word of God, but then every church growth metric tells you that you need to keep it to 25 to 35 minutes because people don't have an attention span. I'm sorry, how long was the last Marvel movie? See, because here's the thing. If it's good, you don't care how long it is, so I hope it was good. And if it ain't, you're free to leave too. You ain't gonna hurt my feelings. I'll preach to my kids. They can't leave. They in my house. They ain't got nowhere to go. But see, you need to get the word, meditate on the word, then it gets in your mouth, then you speak it out, then it reinforces it because you're speaking it out because you're meditating on it day and night, and then it begins to direct your actions, and before you know it, you're walking into hospitals, and you're laying hands on the sick, you're going to hurt family members, and you're praying for them, you're going to enemies and asking for forgiveness or giving forgiveness. Do you see how this thing works? See, that's what courageous faith is. It's not just about taking great cities for God. Some of you just need to take your living room back. So what's it going to be? Because I can give it to you, but what you going to do with it? Last verse, verse 9. Have I not commanded you? This isn't a suggestion, fam. See, we live in a day and age where we think most of the Bible is suggestions from God. No, it's not. It's commands. Disobey a command from a sitting king, a natural king, a human king, and see how that goes for you. And we're going to sit in here and disobey the king of the universe's commands and think it's going to go well with us. Just stay away from me because I don't need no lightning bolt on me. Have I not commanded you? What has he commanded us? To be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. I'm going to have Tyler come up. And he's going to tell us some of the amazing things that are happening here at our church. But none of those amazing things matter for much of anything unless people full of faith step up and say, yep, I'm going to do that. Whether it's next steps or going on a mission trip. Whether it's (laughs) giving in the One Vision campaign or just putting something in the offering plate whether it's giving your life to Jesus. All of that takes faith. And I pray today that your faith has not only been encouraged, but you have courageous faith to do all of these things. So Tyler, thank you so much. God bless you guys.